Hey guys, just a reminder that the 2022 Small Town Monsters Kickstarter is happening right now. You can be a part of funding all four of our feature length film productions that are coming out this year. You can get your name in the credits and all that stuff. You can also be a part of helping to fund all the amazing YouTube content we're putting out. The link is in the description. Hit the button, become a backer, be a part of Small Town Monsters. This is Monsteropolis, a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded today it for sure the skeptics, oh the my believers, <gasps> the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. It's also about monsters and anomalies and legends. Um, I am Andy Matsky, back again, hosting. Um, you liked it so much. <laughs> Last week that here I am again, and um, I'm joined today, as always, by my father, Mark Matsky. Hello there. Um, some of you may or may not know that uh, we hosted this little show called Sass What back in the day. Um, I sounded a little different back then, <laughs> so uh, now it's just going to sound like the same person talking. Having a dialogue yep. with himself. But nope, if you're listening to the show, it may sound like one of us has lost our minds. But uh, if you're watching... <laughs> Which may be the case. Uh, then yeah, you, you kind of You took me through a time portal when you started into yeah. the uh, Sasswat prelude. Yeah, the overture. The overture, <laughs> as we like to call it. Um, <laughs> It'll just be a static screen yeah. for a while. It says overture yeah. across They actually the used, before... Uh, Back in the day when they did podcasts, they would project the opening <laughs> credits and overture over the curtain. That's why um, there were elaborate yeah. opening and have a credit dance. sequences for their podcasts. Have a dance sequence during the intermission. It's true. Look it up. This for happened. podcasts back in the day. <laughs> um, this week's episode is about Bigfoot. And Bigfoot in the Northwest. Not... The Pacific Northwest. What? But just a little east of there <laughs> in the, what do they call that part of America? That part right there. The you upper guys, Midwest, let's you guys, say it. Actually? They call it yeah. the upper Midwest? Okay. Well, sort of. You, you like guys have yet Minnesota to like address the fact there's maps back here, and it sometimes oh, bothers me. I think there's been episodes. maps today? I, I think, think it would be fun. I think there's been episodes of the show. We don't have any second camera this week. I feel like, hey. Let's bounce all over the place. This is Monsteropolis. Um, the rest of the Small Town Monsters crew, uh, including two of your normal hosts, Seth Breedlove and Heather Moser. Normal. Your normal hosts. What'd I say? <laughs> no, that's what you said. Okay. I'm just considering the... <laughs> your no. regular host. No. <laughs> your, there you go. Yeah, um, regular. Let's say regular. That works <laughs> for me. Um, are off-filming American Werewolves. And so I was sitting here in the office thinking, you know, we need to record Monsteropolis. Huh. And then I sort of forgot. And then I got a text from you. Yeah. At about nine o'clock. <laughs> right. Trying to plan saying, my week. Hey, are we recording Monsteropolis? And I thought, uh oh. And so now here we are the next day um, recording Monsteropolis. Um, I did a little bit of research on this topic. Um, and you did significantly more. 
probably, which is fine. I did some. Um, and we are shooting this on what was left behind for um, uh, the, from the American Werewolf shoot. Um, this camera is the same camera that I shot Bigfoot The Journey on and that part of um, Bigfoot Discovery was shot on. This lens was left for some reason. Um, this is normally the lens that's over there. Just in case you're interested, it's the, it's, the, it's a zoom lens. It's 24 to 240. I like this lens a lot. Um, it's that inside baseball yeah, stuff that some people, people like, love. Some people like this. I That's just feel cool. like saying that. Um, I, so we're kind of punting yeah. is what's happening. What we're doing is we're just seeing what happens. Yeah. If you really like this, you know, the two of us, um, maybe we'll do more. Maybe we'll do more. Just the two of us. Boing. <laughs> oh, did you want to mention oh, Kickstarter? Yes. The Kickstarter will be launching in days from when this episode uh, premieres. The Kickstarter is launching February 3rd. If you like what we do here uh, at Monsteropolis on YouTube, or if you're a fan of our films, back the Kickstarter. This is how you can support us. This is, if, if you thought, you know, I like small town monsters, but... You know, being a channel member on YouTube just isn't enough. I, I want more. I often think that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> then this is perfect for you. You can you can back and you get tons of cool rewards. There are there are great rewards at every level and great films that are coming out this year. I mean, we haven't seen them yet. They're still works in progress, but the ideas that have been talked about in this office in the past few weeks and over the past months of planning these things are great ideas. Movies like Bloodlines, The Jersey Devil Curse, On the Trail of UFOs, Night Visitors, Bigfoot, The Last Frontier. Oh, and American Werewolves. Mm -hmm. And American Werewolves. And um, uh, not... It's not like I'm editing the video that will be posted before the Kickstarter and I still blanked on... Not Bray Road Beast 2... Sadly, Ghost not of dog man. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I've heard about this. Yeah. Um, Heather, and and are, Heather, and, Heather and I are trying to get this movie <laughs> made. Greenlit, um, probably uh, if you're a, an, a fan of Bray Road Beast 2, Ghost of Dog Man, um, and, and you want to support what we do, um, look for that film sometime probably, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, fall 2026. <laughs> yeah. This, the subtitle to the subtitle is Lee Hempel's Revenge. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I always say this when we talk about the Kickstarter, but, you know, having backed other projects and stuff, you always see this is not a store. You're taking a chance by backing a Kickstarter, but not with STM. Not with us. I mean, <laughs> not at all. The rewards are like a lock and they, mm-hmm. you, it's great. I mean, people who have backed consistently know that you get your stuff in a timely way. It's high quality. I just think it's it's closest to a sure thing that you can get. Do you like what's behind us here? <laughs> These have all been previous Kickstarter yeah. rewards. Yep. If you if you like these, Gene Saint Gene, yeah, produced. we're getting we're getting a new one this year. That's the Jersey Devil, mm. and I am excited. I'm very very excited. So. And I also want to say I've seen oh. Night Visitors, a lot of Night Visitors, and it's quite good. It I is. I mean, like, surprisingly mm-hmm. amazing. A look into the cattle mutilation phenomena in 
Colorado. Yeah. Beautiful part of the country, compelling witnesses. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's, it's currently being color graded and I keep (laughs) getting peeks at the film. I saw Mr. Miller when I poked my head in to say hello to Santino. Santino is busily at work doing that. So this week's episode is about Bigfoot in the upper Midwest. And um, I've done quite a bit of research. I did a little bit of research last night, and you've done some research. Mm-hmm. And before we get into all that, one more thing that has to do with Bigfoot, so you'll enjoy this. Oh. I think that the era of books, Bigfoot books, that were published from like the mid-70s to like the mid-80s are probably the best, without a question. Like I'm talking... Apes Among Us, John Napier's Bigfoot book, um, Peter Burns. I I just had the title, but my phone's gone. Um, oh. Like, I'm talking Bigfoot by John Napier and The Search for Bigfoot, Monster, Myth, or Man by Peter Byrne. And I'm sure there's, I mean, there's the other John Green books that are on the track of Sasquatch and all those that are, like, so good with their, like, maps and reprintings of like newsletters, eyewitness hand-drawn sketches, like pen and ink drawings of Bigfoot. I love them. I love them so much. Like Peter Burns' book, I don't think I really got anything for this episode from. I maybe got one or two things from, but just looking through that book was incredible. It's so cool. So cool. And I'll show you uh, YouTube video viewers. Um, Today, like some of the stuff that's in, uh, I have the best of Sasquatch Bigfoot, which collects two of John Green's works here that's on the track of Sasquatch and encounters with Bigfoot. Um, And there's just some great stuff in there. And if you saw the STMBN Instagram story in the past 24 hours, that's that map is from Mm -hmm. Legend Meets Meets Science. That's true. That that is a feature of those books are the hand-drawn maps. And the, they're so good pointing out where sightings have taken place and sometimes what kind of sightings, you know, in the little, mm-hmm. little cartoon Bigfoot yeah. in the corner. Those are really, those are the best. Um, why, why do you think those are so good? What, what's the quality that they have that stands out to you? Well, for one thing, it is the time frame itself. Um, I'm really, really partial. I'm realizing in like looking through these stories, two stories from like the sev- 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s is sort of where I lose interest to it. Because like you were talking about a few weeks back when you are talking about Ohio Bigfoot stuff, there's just an appeal to that time that it's sort of like it's new and fresh. And that sort of carries through in those books where there's like, I think it's in Peter Burns one that um, there's like a reprinted newsletter page or mm. two. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, I don't know, it's that whole appeal of it's very... um. It's not digital. As as weird as that sounds, that's what those books are. Is they're very, like, they feel realer mm-hmm. and yeah. less uh, abstract. In an era, and I don't mean to, like, throw shade or m- be mean to any one of our friends who are publishing amazing works of 14 literature, but in an era where it's all, like, digital art covers on books and sort of a very digital media age, even in releasing books, which that it's great. I'm not doing it. I can't really knock it. There's just a certain appeal to that. 
for me, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's indisputable that this is the first wave of researchers who went out firsthand, did these, you know, uh, gathering of information, looking for tracks and what have you, like everyone you named was boots on the ground, doing the research themselves and then writing about it. And, you know, people, I suppose, could argue about quality from one era to the next, but you can't argue these guys were the first ones. It just is. It's like the first wave of anything. It's new ground and it's in the era of, of history that's sort of remembered fondly these days Mm -hmm. by most people that like I'm included with that. We're like, it's sort of the idea of this new thing in like the, the seventies. Sure. Or like late sixties, 68 is I think a a date of, of a, of a story I have here where it's like, these are the guys who are doing this first and that they are, you know, walking into new territory Mm -hmm. And that the, the stories they get are the first time these stories have ever even thought about being told, probably. Like, it's if someone has a story, it's like, oh, this is the first time I've heard someone bring this up again, which is just really, really interesting. Yeah, and this was a time where if you were even talking about Bigfoot, you would be painted as a loony, yeah. like a looney tune. And these these credentialed men didn't care. I mean, they just said, this is it. This is what we have found. And we know how most people are going to take that. I mean, it's, it's changed so much culturally today. It's really interesting to see how it's not nearly as much of a stigma attached to an interest in the subject. And I don't know, it's, there's certain, there's a certain appeal with like, I, I used the Bigfoot case book Mm, and it's sort yeah. of the feeling, and I don't know if this is this is right or true, but that's like the first time someone went through all the books that have been released of these, like the the first wave of researchers, and like cataloged it, mm-hmm. made it so you could like see this, and the fact that that's like again the first wave of this right. is so cool, and it's so fresh, and it it doesn't it feels very genuine, and I really like that. It's mm-hmm. like you're saying it's. They're doing this because they genuinely have an interest in it from wherever they got it because they didn't get this from someone else being interested in it. Like, yeah. like with me, I mean, I was raised on other researchers, yet these people, I mean, I'm sure they had their influences, mm-hmm. but these were th- these were new ideas. I think that's, that's the other thing is the, the freshness of the idea. Yeah. It's just. And what's also cool is in the time frame that you described, when you really look through the scope of the books being written, it includes a lot of the stuff that today sometimes is positioned as somewhat new. And what I mean by that is like the uh, B.N. Slate and Alan Berry book simply entitled Bigfoot, which is the first place where I heard of the Sierra sounds. And it's, it's Berry's angle on that whole thing. But that that's being published in, I think, 77 or early eighties at the very latest. And so that exists in the record that far back, you know, what seems today, because I think the the feature of it is that Ron Moorhead has become the face of Sierra Mm -hmm. sounds and he was certainly involved in it, but Alan Berry was as well. And he was really the first one to get it in writing along with, uh, Ann Slate in this book, which is, Again, the first place where I really was exposed to more than just 
Bigfoot as a hairy creature and it gets into like psychic Sasquatch and UFOs and underground sounds and all of that. It's all in that book and that's it's late 70s. Yeah, see, that's the thing that I think we have this that I was I was realizing just because looking at dates, we have this idea that it was first wave of Bigfoot and then it was, you know, sort of the second generation. That is what it is. But that that was years later. And then all of a sudden it was your Stan Gordon's, your Lauren Coleman's, your sort of thinking about these things as sort of being on the outer edge of science. But that was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in Apes Among Us, Green references Coleman's like and Clark's go- Creatures of the Goblin realm or outer outer goblin. <laughs> it's both. Which one is right? Because it's uh, outer realm. Creatures here, from the it? outer of the outer edge, isn't it? That's Curious Encounters. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's the one that's Oh, like, here it is. The unidentified and creatures of the outer edge. I think it's goblins and it's and like before. Yeah. I'm gonna check that later. <laughs> yeah, you can chop it. But yeah, and I mean I could go on. We could just talk about Yeah, the I realize this books. is we're now like fifteen minutes into this episode. Yeah. But the one thing I'll just mention before we move on is you know, the the lower case our romantic ideal of John Green and Lauren Coleman exchanging letters through the mail. That's the only option that they had unless they sent each other phone numbers and then called. But that's that first wave, again, like John Green received reports through the snail mail. That was it. Yeah. And compiled them and, you know, kept them in a file somewhere, presumably until he could digitize them very much later on. So it's just a fantastic story, I think. And it says a lot about the transmission of the stories, too. Bigfoot in Montana. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really connect. I mean, and I guess you you think of Bigfoot in, like, the Northwest. You think of Washington, Oregon, California. But you don't really realize that Idaho and Montana are right there. Right. Um, even though you, in the eastern part of Washington and into Idaho you have the desert, there still is the mountains and all that. So you want to you wanna hear a story? I'd love to hear a story. So um, last night, it's, it's a personal story. <laughs> no, um, I was looking through Apes Among Us, and um, in Apes Among Us, he talk, John Green talks about... Um, how there was in New Haven, Connecticut, the Evening Register on November 11th, 1892, published a story from Montana, from the Anaconda, what was it? It's the Anaconda Standard. Wow. And this is in 1892. And um, in saying all this, I realized (laughs) that I don't know where that is. They talk about the mountains. So look it up. Um, <laughs> but I was I was quite interested about that. And in Apes Among Us, he only briefly like quotes a line or two. So I was thinking, you know, I could do a little bit more research on this. And so I did. And so I want to give a big shout out to Seth Breedlove, 
who I'm not sure if he knows that I still have his newspapers.com <laughs> login like at home, but I do. And so I was able to track down Ooh. Um, that oh, the wow. Anaconda standard, it has been digitized oh my that goodness. far back. And I have here what the headline was, oh which is a great headline, like completely great. And the headline reads, with gun and fishpole, hunters and anglers leave for streams and forests, want to kill something. Now that's... <laughs> That has nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you, like the okay. next part. And then there's one more headline that says uh, sporting goods dealers in clover, a strange animal seen by a man from the mountains. Hmm. Now, what the the first part of this article is and this this art, this section in the newspaper stretches like all the way down the page. What the first two or three paragraphs are about are just the fact that there are a bunch of like hunters and fishers who want to go out into this area and like go fishing. That's what it's about is how like local sports sportswear dealers are like run over by the fact there's so many people. And there's even a quote in there that talks about how, and I wrote it down that they, um, they, they want to kill anything they can. And that there's a quote, they want a quote baptism of blood. That's fun. Wow. Talk about, Manifest destiny. <laughs> now, what they do go on to talk about is like the article then continues after talking about how they just want to go out killing mountain lions. Blast everything yeah. that moves. Yep. Just relieve their stress from their long hours on the farm, on the prairie, <laughs> right. go up in the mountains the, and just let loose. Let loose. So then it End goes lives. on to say. Some of the old-time hunters and Indian fighters who are still holding holding out in the city should in 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 caver and ca in 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 endeavor. endeavor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just yep. a light print there. Hey, they wrote their e's funny. Um, should <laughs> endeavor in old English. <laughs> Very. It <laughs> really goes back. Should endeavor. Should endeavor to find a wide-eyed individual who came in from the mountains this morning. Whether he discovered a new brand of whiskey or whether it was the loneliness of his life in the mountains that caused him to see visions and hear sounds is not known. But whether the cause, he told a story that knocks Joe Klafke's ghost story attested to by Jack Brenham completely in the shade. Take that, Joe. Blam! <laughs> Oh, I did no research into that ghost story. Yeah, well, it's okay. We don't care about yeah, ghosts. Um, you just got schooled. Yeah. Burn. Ouch. Um, he said that over in the range of mountains, which forms a part of the Wyoming line, he had seen evidence of the existence of a creature whose genius was unknown. No, it's genus. It is genus. Genus. His genius was quite unknown. It, it was, was a genius. smart Sasquatch. Yeah. Apparently, no co-host of the show can read besides you and Heather. <laughs> Seth and I can't read. His his horse-haired weaving was unparalleled. He's a genius artist. Whose genius Stick was a structure making real tall. Um, <laughs> genius of height. Whose genius was unknown to him. Genius was genius. How do you say it? Genius. That's what I said. You said genius. Genius. <laughs> genius was unknown to him. Did I say it right? Yes. Okay. He also claimed to have obtained a glimpse of the varmint. 
but always when he was unarmed. Mm-hmm. And as it appear as there and its appearance was such as not to invite a close inspection. He had never sought to get near enough to it to see just what it was, he says. The animal is covered in, with hair, but in the form it is not unlike a man. A resemblance that is increased by the creature's habit of rising on its haunches and walking on its hind legs after the manner of a gorilla. After having seen the animal, the man said he could account for the existence of the torn and partly eaten carcasses of several large bears and also of one mountain sheep that he claimed to have found in the vicinity of where the unknown animal appeared. A torn carcass of a bear. Wow. The stranger says he will return to the mountains shortly and will pilot anyone who may desire to visit the Mm. locality to the exact spot where he last saw. The monster. Whoa. Now that again, that was printed originally in the August 20th, 1892 edition of the Anaconda Montana Standard. And they mentioned Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So it's out east in Montana, mm-hmm. in the east side of town. Um, <laughs> now, what's, what was interesting to me about that, um, in looking through other articles briefly in the Anaconda standard is the sheer volume of mentions of gorillas at that time. Like you would think this is a, a, a a newspaper out in the new West. I mean, blossoming Mm -hmm. West. They sure did like their news about gorillas. Mm -hmm. Like it was a lot. It was definitely on their mind. I believe, if I remember my search parameters correctly, even within 1892, there probably were at least half dozen or more, which is just an interesting observation. It shows that, like, gorillas were really on the minds of people during those times. There even was an article that talked about someone bringing gorillas back to possibly domesticate them and make them be servants. Oh, oh my. And I was like... (laughs) Oh, okay. Obviously, that didn't work. No. Um, very reminiscent of the uh, classic Bella Lugosi film, Murders in the Room. Yes. <laughs> which trained them to do your evil is bidding. One of my favorite movies ever. 1932? Yeah. 31, 32. Oh, my. Great film. But, um, yeah, and well, then you're right. I mean, and yeah. we're going to say more about the gorillas. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the end of my story. All right. My story. Um, In flipping through, doing a little bit of last minute research, uh, that story, as it is exactly printed, um, is found in uh, the best of Sasquatch Bigfoot. So I didn't need to do all my research, but it's cool that I did because I got to see the actual um, thing. I don't know if it's from On the Track of Sasquatch or Encounters with Bigfoot, but if you want to read it, it's in here. you went to the primary source. But I went to the primary is, source and I saw it with my own eyes through the digital ties. Yeah. And research 101 right there. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, and I, what was interesting though is the New Haven, Connecticut evening register is not digitized yet. I hmm. mean, so, yeah. But it, I think yeah. part of that, what that speaks to at least a little bit is how relatively recent the discovery of gorillas was which explains how it was on everyone's minds and became a convenient sort of um, like a paradigm for people to talk about a hairy, large figure. And so that 
it'd be interesting to see like comparison between gorilla and wild man and how those compare like when the locations switch occurs. when the switch occurs yeah exactly would be really interesting mm-hmm. because i mean for us we would say of course it looked like a gorilla or a big ape but this wasn't really known at the time and what's what's real interesting about that story is it makes it sound like this is a creature that is not always on its back legs, mm-hmm. which to me is like a modern feature of Bigfoot that's talked about not a lot these days, but enough that it's it's made a resurgence. Yeah, for sure. that it's Bigfoot will run down on like four legs. You mm-hmm. hear that a lot on like Finding Bigfoot. I remember sure, and you sort of hear that all over. I think thermal footage yeah. purports to show Bigfoot crawling. Yeah. Stuff like that. And here it is in 1892, apparently mm-hmm. being talked about that this creature travels both bipedally and and jumps down mm. on all fours. Yeah. Or this is sort of the inverse of that, but it shows that it 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 does both. So what's what's compelling to me is the historical precedent for things in Bigfoot in these like wild man gorilla reports that really don't make a lot of sense. Like that that aren't something that if you were making up a story, you would really make up. And I guess yeah. the point I'm trying to say, and I guess I'm making it poorly, is there's things that people say happen today mm-hmm. that are kind of weird. But there's a historical precedent for those things that goes back to the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like whistling and getting up on all fours are kind of the only two things I can think of. I mean, they're big and hairy and they stink, but like... That's sort of the two things. Those are things that, to me, in 1890, if I'm making up a story, th- that I don't know if I'd do that. I'd make it. I'd make it better, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah, well, I, there's certainly some very uh, extremely strange wild yeah. man and stories, and certainly some wild man stories are probably fake because mm-hmm. it's you're in the business of selling papers. Yeah. And some are definitely, as has been said in other places, not actually wild man, as we would probably associate. Sure. Probably evidences of previous prejudice and mm. bias. Mm-hmm. But if you're making up fictional features of a creature. Yeah. But then you there would... are some that it talks about. Yeah. It being very ape-like, mm-hmm. like in describing it like a gorilla. And right. it being eight feet tall and things like that that you, you don't think you'd make up. And that's personally part of my conviction with this whole phenomenon is, yeah, people could make up stories now, but people who ha- would have to do an extraordinary amount of research or at least a, a big, uh, a, a substantial amount of research to accurately make up some sort of story. Mm. That would harmonize yeah, with what's that, gone that, before. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's sort of where I I get confused and I don't think that it's either the greatest hoax and ongoing, you know, yeah. the lie, most enduring tall tale or of all there's time. a little something to it. Mhm. That's it. <laughs> that's that that's that rant. Okay. What you got there? Well, the thing that I find very intriguing here is that perhaps the the um connecting point between the stories that you have and the ones that I have, that I have are that a lot of them are the eyewitness accounts of hunters. Cause you led in that 
um, report with, you know, basically the advertisement, come and kill stuff in yeah. Montana, um, which, you know, was done with almost no, uh, what would you say, self-control back Yeah, that the, wasn't like, oh, these guys are terrible. It's just yeah. more like, they're a wild bunch of dudes, but yeah. they want to go out and... With no regulations yeah. either. I mean, it's not like hunting today where you're licensed and taking classes and all that stuff. But the the point that I'm making here is that I'm using a lot of contemporary, very up-to-date sources in um, what I am going to bring to the table. But the connect the, the point of connection is hunters, once again. I think that's probably going to be your largest pool of those who are filing reports in that part of the country because that's who's out there. You know, we're talking about places that are not obviously highly populated. I've made the point before that one of the things, and, and I got it from somebody else. It's not unique to me. The point is to have a sighting, you have to have people <laughs> or else there's no sighting. Yeah. There's just a creature walking along by itself. And when you get out to the region of the country we're talking about, the, the population of people dwindles significantly. So the reason that they're out there is for recreation, whether it's mountain climbing, kayaking, fishing, and hunting. So this leads into a story that I am drawing from this resource called The Day Sasquatch Became Real for Me by Steve Isdall. I had not heard of him until seeing the book on the Perry Library shelf. And I'm not going to read it word for word because I don't think that's fair to a fairly near book, fairly new book to do that. But I will summarize the report. And this is Montana. Uh, the, one, the person reporting the sighting was 13 years old in the summer of 1983. Uh, they went to on a, a vacation with the family to Superior, Montana, which is west of Missoula, getting out, I think it's, the western half of the gigantic state and not too far away from um, Glacier, relatively speaking. So anyway, it's a long drive to get there. They finally made it. Uh, one of the days, uh, the the reporters, the one rep making the report here, his father and uncle and an older cousin and the older brother went out trout fishing. Uh, one of his uncle's brothers was a forest ranger he told the this the the experiencers father and uncle about a nice fishing spot uh, they went there and the morning that they got up you know they loaded all the gear went down to the place and the sun was coming up uh, they got their poles in were fishing having a great time and walked down to this area in the creek where all of a sudden they ran across a big bull elk that was dead in the creek. And it was not there until now, meaning the, the, the uncle had just been there very recently. So this was a fresh kill, if you will. And its neck was broken as if it had been spun around. So I thought right away when you were reading about bears with ragged, mm -hmm. like yeah. being torn apart, this is the report that. So Bigfoot in me. Montana just rips, um, rips stuff wildlife up. to shreds. Yeah. Bigfoot <laughs> rips wildlife to shreds. <laughs> Episode title right there. <laughs> 
So they, um, as they approached it, the thing that freaked this 13-year-old out was that the elk was still warm. Why'd he touch it? Well, I mean, these are like outdoorsy hunting type people. It could be. hands. They, um, <laughs> it just, just happened. He asked, how did it happen? Um, there was an embankment above the river. One of the adults posited that it may have fallen off the embankment. Dumb elk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't oh, know. Oh, look, a river. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Snap. Elk are in the habit of just stumbling around in nature. Those Montana elk. I know. They need to watch themselves. Um, this is the part, one of the details that just fascinates me and is one of the reasons that I want to get out there so much. He says, so I you was, can see the cliffs. That so they I can, down. No, no. This is what I'm so, about to say. He was 13 and was in awe of a massive bull elk larger than a horse. So when you hear elk, you know, they're not. We're not talking about deer. We're talking about much more massive creatures. And somebody recently sent me a picture. Uh, they had hunted elk mm-hmm. and got one. And oh, wow. and I was, uh, again, uh, stunned because he was, here's a, a human right in proximity <laughs> to this elk. And the elk was massive. And it wasn't like forced perspective mm-hmm. or anything. It was just a gigantic animal. It wasn't like he had a tiny toy elk <laughs> no. that he placed right in right. front of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Next to his boot. <laughs> Look what I got uh. on my great trip. But no, it was, um, so they go no. around the, the corner in the creek and uh, the two boys, the youngest boys, 13 year old being one, discover footprints. So they're clearly large footprints. He had a cousin who was about six foot four. They said, go make footprints next to that. And he couldn't match the length, obviously, nor come close to the depth. Classic sort of reporting scenario. And then they heard sounds. Uh, And here is where I will be a little bit close to the um, actual description. I was looking in the way that the tracks were going, and I heard something large ahead of me and seen the bushes or whatever they were pushed to the side like someone went through them. Then I smelled something bad, like an old musky skunk. I froze. The hair on my head felt like it stuck out straight, head, arms, and legs. I saw something so massive uh, passing through the thick vegetation by the trees, standing and watching me rocking side to side. Dark and way bigger than my cousin. I didn't know what to do. Heard a crack of a branch, and he just did that, like, the crack of the branch sort of symbolizes almost. He snapped and runs up the creek um, and runs back to where the adults were and reports on his sighting. I One thing, you know, we talk about features that transcend time or that go from one era to another, and that rocking back and forth motion, this is a report that happened in 83. Originally, it seems like, it's not something that's colored by finding Bigfoot or modern reporting that has talked about Bigfoot. This goes back in time. And uh, so they, he and his cousin run and, and can't get out, you know, will not be um, removed from the van in which they drove to this area. Nothing can get them out of the van. They're just, he resolutely stays put until the rest of the party comes back and leaves. And at the end... The elk was still warm. 
I like that story. I like yeah. when that story is. Mm hmm. Because that's sort of, you know, the 80s is sort of a time that's not too frequently talked about in Bigfoot, I think. And that's when Night Siege happened. <laughs> right. And that's like my favorite. So, like, it's cool to hear a story from that. I sort of, lo- I briefly looked for stories from then and. I don't think I found any. I found some from the late 60s, which is also an interesting time because you hear about the 70s, and the 70s were great for Bigfoot, like iconic. What about right around the 70s? That's what I was thinking last night. Mm-hmm. Really didn't get much of an answer. <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, as so often is the case, the questions are more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really pursue the. I was like, that's a good question. Huh? Yeah. But no, I kind of... We'll see if we actually get into Idaho in this episode. Okay. Because I have a good Idaho story from 68. Ooh. But I have an excellent Idaho story that I think you will love. How many stories have we told? Two on this episode? Two, yeah. And it's 40 minutes in? Yeah. Let me tell you a little story. Okay. That's real little. We'll each do a little story. We'll each do one more little one. Yes. So this is this is real little, but it, it, it ties back to what we were talking about earlier. And... It pretty, it takes place, let me say it this way. Mm. This story is from Apes Among Us, I believe. And um, the way John Green talks about it, he says that one one day, him and Renee were on a radio show. And that's how it's referenced. Uh-huh. And I can only assume it's Renee DeHinden, Yes, which is like my favorite of the four horsemen. And they were on some radio show and they received a report from a lady who grew up in Montana. Um, she mentioned the snowy mountains mm. and apparently there's snowy mountains in two parts of the state. And it said this there's in central and the Northwestern part. And he never got mm. clarification, mm-hmm. but that um, when this girl was growing up in there in Montana, she remember hearing stories that um, they had to keep the cattle at lower elevations because if they didn't, then um, the hairy man, or like the hairy men would kill them. Whoa. Um, which is a really cool story, but then Green goes on to say, I'm pretty sure he goes on to say this, he's never heard anything else like that. Mm-hmm. He's like looked into it, and there's no other corroborating stories, mm-hmm. but it's a good story. And it's, again, from that another time that we really don't think of, which is like 1900. It's like ni- 1900. And four. Mm-hmm. No, Montana. See, I sort of start thinking about like Red Dead Redemption 2, but you can't go up too high in the mountains or the hairy man will yeah. you. Or it's a very interesting practical consideration. Yeah. And it's like you talked about on the lore you know, Bigfoot all over the country. Go go listen to that after you're done here. But um, there are practical aspects to this sometime that come into play. Like when we were in on the Chestnut Ridge in on above below the Chestnut Ridge and the homeowner of the property we're at told us that they had to bring their horses in at night and that they were kind of concerned because they had seen big cats around and their neighbors had seen big cats. And that's not, they, those don't exist in the Allegheny mountains anymore. But there was someone matter-of-factly saying, just talking about their life, I think we had commented on the horses is how it got brought right. up. Right, That, you know, sometimes th- this uh, uh, seems to affect people's lives in very real mm-hmm. ways. 
And, and the person who told us this seemed more annoyed than anything. Oh, yeah. She wasn't it like, was, this is yeah. some cool, sta- right. scary story. Yeah, it's exactly. like, I, I have to bring them in or they'll get attacked. <laughs> yeah. Like, ugh. Right. Like, I hate when that happens. <laughs> I, know. I hate when I have to bring in the dog so Mothman doesn't get him. <laughs> Stupid dog. Um, Harold Panther is back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned that particular instance because, again, talking about practical outcomes, Stan Gordon is really the first person that I heard mention the reaction of animals to strange phenomena as a way of talking about their empirical reality. Like, you know, it's one thing for a person to hoax or tell a story, but as far as we know, dogs don't hoax. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, livestock don't play pranks that we're aware of. Hey, hey, lay down and we'll cut your eyes out with this laser. <laughs> It'll freak the humans out, man. Hey, bite Watch me this. like it looks like a, hey, scratch me like a, a giant monster would. That's a dog talk. The first one was a cow. They have the same voice. If you squint, you'll you'll see what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, Lay back, I, squint, you'll get it. You'll, um, you'll get anyways, it. Yeah. One other you story. You can't hoax the animals. You can, well, yeah. I mean, Except you can throw something, act like you throw something and a dog will run. That's true. That's true. But, but it's the a reaction. animals it's a reaction. aren't hoaxing. They aren't hoaxing and they're reacting to some stimuli that makes them act in a fearful manner. I guess that's the that's closing the circle. It's not just that they're not doing You can't thing. fool a dog. Yeah, there you, you have story after story of dogs that have reputations for being very fierce and protective and then after having this you know encounter with some unknown thing are cowering under the porch and or won't come out and are just, you know, um, traumatized by what's happened. Uh, the other Montana story that I had, I'm not going to go through it right now, but I will just briefly summarize it because I love this story so much because of all the things that, all the like tangents. And let, I will look up when it happened. That's the only thing that I will examine here. Um, let's see. Okay. Because I it helps to set the stage in... Uh, <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter. It was a. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. It's it's fairly um, modern day because it talks about watching. Here, here's the thing. It's a truck driver. Okay. Former military becomes a truck driver after he retires to keep doing something. He's driving across Montana, has a partner with him in the truck. So one guy had a laptop, the other had a DVD player. So that sort of locates the time. They're at a truck stop, like one of these big. You know, on the the interstate highway system, truck stops late, late at night, early morning. And bottom line is there is a Sasquatch rambling around the parked trucks in the truck stop. Yeah, like banging on trucks, moving just out of sight of the lights. You know, because you imagine you've, they've got these big arc lights in the uh, truck stop parking lot. And the fun part that would have been 
to read that story verbatim was all the stuff I would have to bleep out. <laughs> but uh, it's just as fascinating because it's a, you would think that, and maybe there are a lot, and I'm just not aware of it, but you would think that there would be a lot of trucker sightings of Bigfoot because of the sheer percentage of, of roadside sightings that happen from vehicles. Plus then where these truck stops are typically located is not in the center of town. It's more out on the edge of town somewhere close by an expressway, but also um, not even suburban. So you have this mixture of wilder area plus people who are generally like letting their guard down and sleeping off their route, getting ready to travel to another place. So I just, that whole milieu of truck stop Bigfoot sighting, I just love that. Maybe it's fascinating. There are more truck stop Bigfoot sightings. They just have some sort of CB radio handle for it that we don't know, <gasps> like some sort of code. Oh, you may be onto something there. Like, I don't even know what it could be. It'd be like breaker, breaker. Pillsbury <laughs> tipped over the doughboy again. <laughs> that meant I saw one by the truck stop. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. King Kong on the flip flop. <laughs> yeah. Donkey Kong Mario truck. <laughs> um, okay, so that's a great story. I, I really like. Yeah, it. I mean, it's, there's it's guns. Just, I didn't even get into the guns. guns. Yeah, they load their weapons. It's a, it's, it's really it's cool. Yeah, it's a really cool story. Bigfoot adventures into the city of the truck stop. <laughs> yeah, Bigfoot's the one with the gun. Bigfoot loaded his rifle because yeah, <laughs> that he got from 1892. Yeah. It's a musket. Yeah, I picked that off from the lonely man up in the mountain. Baptism of blood, huh? <laughs> I'll show you. It's like a musket he has to load the barrel yeah anyways um montana bigfoot montana bigfoot who knew he rips animals into shreds um if you like on the movie yeah he goes (laughs) or bears like a piece of paper yes um got a lot of built-up frustration that montana sasquatch um, just send good thoughts this way. Um, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Monsteropolis, we will be back next week for more. Um, who knows what we'll talk about? Well, Bigfoot, just where will he be? Um, like this video if you like it. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Um, back the Kickstarter. That's what we need. We need you to back the Kickstarter, please, and thank you. This uh, Thursday. This Thursday. Send us mail, monstropolismail at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at STM underscore broadcasting underscore network. We're on Facebook at STMBN. Uh, listen to Heather Mother- Motherf. <laughs> I did it accidentally. <laughs> listen to Heather Mosier's show, The Lore You Know on this very YouTube channel or wherever you find podcasts, just look up the lore, you know, and it'll be there. You'll see it's UFO logo. That's it for this week's show and keep it squatchy. Everybody. <laughs>